Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. But I need a series to go into, and he said, just wait. And I'm going to tell you, man, I am so glad that I just waited. Because the, the, the week before Christmas, it was a just wait, and the Lord gave me a word. The week after Christmas, last week, the first message of, this, of the year, it was a, a just wait, and the Lord gave me a word. And I feel the same thing is true for tonight. And so uh, your hearts are prepared. They're ready to receive, and I believe that you're going to be blessed tonight uh, by the word that I have to give. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you remember where you were uh, the day, the night, the morning, the afternoon that you gave your life to Jesus? Does anybody remember where you were at, where you made a decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ? Does anybody remember? This is crowd participation. Participation. Is that even a word? Participation. There it is, right? It's crowd participation. So here's the deal. The more you talk back, the more you participate, the faster I preach. Come on, somebody, right? So if I see you nodding off, I'm going to slow it down, all right? So do you remember where you were at the day, the night, the morning, the afternoon that you made a decision for Jesus Christ? Anybody? I remember where I was at, right? I remember I was in this townhouse, and I had given my life to Jesus Christ at a buddy of mine's house. And and I'm going to tell you, for me, it was a life-altering moment. There was no question in my mind that something different happened that night because I was ugly crying, y'all. You know what I'm talking about when I say ugly crying, right? Y'all know what ugly crying is? It's not a tear that comes down your eyes. It's the one where you can't control. You get the, uh, uh, uh. that's the ugly cry. Snot's coming out. That was me. That was the ugly cry. It's my story. All right, and so that was the ugly cry, and that's where I was at. And you know what made that moment so incredibly amazing for me? It wasn't the magical prayer that we prayed, that we did pray, right? It wasn't that the location was somehow uh, incredible. It wasn't like this. It wasn't a beautiful sanctuary like the one we're in right now. Do you know what made that moment so incredibly powerful for me in my life? was the moment where my buddy Russ said to me, do you know that God loves you? Do you know how much God loves you? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And for me, what tripped me out, what tripped me out was I'm thinking to myself, I know me. Right? I know me. I know what skeletons I have in my closet. My closet's about to bust wide open. It's got so many skeletons. I know me. I was 16 years old when I gave my my life to Jesus, but I had a massively stuffed closet. Anybody else? Y'all's closets are spick and span, aren't they? I had a massively packed closet. I had guilt, and I had shame, and I was convinced, I was so convinced I was so convinced that the God that this guy Russ was telling me about was against me. That he couldn't stand me, that he didn't want to really be around me, that he had to tolerate me. It was his fault. He made me. He had to tolerate me, but I didn't really understand how much he loved me, right? And so when I had that moment of coming to a place of recognizing how loved by God I was, it radically changed my life. You see, I was an enemy of God. I was. I was convinced. I was an enemy of God. 
And there were a million reasons why I could be an enemy to God. Have you ever found yourself feeling like that, that you were an enemy to God? Anybody? Anybody in here? If you've ever had that moment, if you ever had that thought that says, you know, I did X, Y, and Z, and now X, Y, and Z has happened back to me, it must be God getting me back. If you have ever had a God's get me back moment, you have had in your mind the understanding that you are an enemy of God. We've all done that at some point. And, and, and there's a scripture that, that hit me. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And I want you to look up at the screen and you'll see it. Colossians chapter 1, verses, there it is, 21 through 23. And it says this. It says, this includes you who were once far from God. You were enemies separated from him by your what, church? Evil thoughts and actions. You were enemies you were enemies. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts or actions. Another translation says that you were enemies with him in your minds. Right? Go to the next verse. Next verse. There you go. It says, yet not, it said, yet now he has. I want you to get this, right? I'm going to teach tonight. Can I teach tonight? I got the microphone. I'm going to teach. Right? So it says, it says, you were enemies with him in your evil thoughts and your deeds. And watch what it says. And it says, and yet now he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you to himself. Do you notice how it didn't say he reconciled himself to you? Because if he had reconciled himself to you, it would have been him, the one who was offended. But it says he reconciled you to himself. He pulled you to him. It was because you were convinced, I was convinced that we were enemies with God in our minds. God has never been your enemy. God has never been your enemy. But we have. It says, and yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. He says, as a result, he has brought you into his presence. Did you know that worship doesn't bring you into the presence of God? The presence of God is already there. He's brought you into it. What worship does is tune you into the right broadcasting station. Come on, somebody. You ever notice that you get in your car, you get in your car and you turn the radio on and there's a broadcast, you pick up a radio station? Some of y'all listen to country music. Some of y'all listen to pop music. Some of you listen to 103 Jams. I'm not hating on you, whatever station you listen to. But let me ask you, was that radio station always there? Yeah, were the waves always broadcasting? Yeah, you just dialed yourself in. That's what worship does. Worship just dials you into what's already there. This is 15 messages in one. And it says, as a result, he has brought you into his presence. Go to the next verse, 23. That is really big. And you are holy. Oh, oh, that was really good. Thanks for making it big. It says, and you are what church? You're not trying to become holy. You are what? Holy. And you are blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Come on. That's really good. If you got nothing else, those three verses, you can go and take right now and go meditate on them. You can go back. See, you were an enemy with God in your mind, and yet God did all the work of bringing you back to himself. And not only did he bring you back to himself, he didn't just get you to the door and expect you to, to do the rest. He said, hey, this is what I want to, I want to reconcile you to me. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and establish something for you right now. I'm going to make you blameless. 
I'm going to make you holy, and I'm going to allow you to stand before me right now without a single fall. You cannot be serious, Pastor. That cannot be right because I know what I've done in my life. You know what you've done in your life, but the Bible says this, that he's cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Come on, somebody. So you could do something that God can't do, which is remember your faults and your issues. Because according to Scripture, according to what Christ has done, you stand right now faultless before God. Thank you. Y'all, come on, we in a big sanctuary. The word enemy defined, that, this is really good because we want to, we, we got to define this real quick. Enemy defined, this is really important. Because we all have our own idea of what an enemy is. Right? So let's go to somebody with authority, the Oxford Dictionary. All right? And the Oxford Dictionary says this. An enemy is a person who is actively opposed to you. Oh, come on, somebody. Some of us right now, we're like, we got a lot of enemies on Facebook, social media, parlor, wherever else you're hanging out at right now. See, it's anybody who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. That would be what an enemy would be. Does that translate to what we were talking about here? Does that definition of an enemy translate to the definition of enemy that we were looking at in Scripture? Watch this. The word enemy that's used in this particular Scripture and so many others, it means this. It's, it's ekthros. Maybe. And it says, it says a person who is hostile, hateful, opposing another. Opposing God where, church? In your mind. Opposing God in, in your mind. So, so a hostile or enemy in Scripture, according to this, is that we were enemies with God. We see, we were, we were hostile. We were hateful. We were opposing one another. We, we were opposing God in our minds. That's the type of enemy that Scripture said that you are not of God. You thought you were in your mind, but you were not. Do you know, and listen, I got notes here, but I'm liable not to hit them notes, but I do have a timer. I'm not keeping you here all night. But listen, do we really think that we are so powerful in our finiteness that we could have initiated any of this? We say, I found God. Did you find God or did God find you? Last time I checked, the shepherd goes after the one. The sheep didn't go find the shepherd. This, this is good. Because you know what this does? This takes away your hamster wheel religion. This takes away the religion that says, I need to do more, be more, get more in order to be more loved by God. This says God's done all the getting so I can be who I am. I get to be a human being in the presence of God. But watch. You see, some people are like, well, what about sin? What about sin? Sin not a big deal? No, sin is a big deal because it affects you. Let me be very clear. Sin does not affect God. Understand what I'm saying? In other words, when you, when you go off and you sin, you go off and you do something dumb, you go off and, and let's just qualify sin this way. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is not a particular thing that you do. It's the, the particular thing that you do is a fruit of sin. Sin is simply missing the mark. Sin is simply this. I'm going to do it all by myself and I'm going to figure out how. That's what sin is. 
So when we sin, when we get into sin, sin changes our mind about God. Do you hear me? But sin never changed God's mind about you. See, God didn't wake up one day and go, I think I should start loving these people. God started from the foundation of the world with this in mind. I'm going to love these people into creation, and I'm going to love them when they mess it up, and I'm going to love them through salvation, and I'm going to love them when we get to rejoice together in eternity. That's what I'm, I'm in the business of loving things right. That's what the gospel is. So sin doesn't change your mind towards God. I mean, change, it, sin doesn't change God's mind towards you. It changes your mind towards God. Grace is not withheld from you because you sin. I love preaching messages like this. But you get too careful, you preach this grace stuff, and people go crazy. They were already going crazy. You know the difference between preaching grace and preaching legalism? And legalism is this. Legalism is setting up a formula or a standard that somebody else must achieve in order to get something God's already given for them. That's what legalism is. Do you know the difference between legalism and grace churches? Churches that preach legalism, everybody puts on a face. They come to church and they smile at you and they go, hey, I'm doing good. You're doing good. Praise the Lord. I'm doing great. And they hide their sin. But when you start preaching grace, people recognize and realize, man, I can be who I am. And they're not worried about covering up the very thing they're dealing with. So they come to church and they say, oh, I'm struggling with this. Oh, I struggle with that. Or this is something I've been dealing with my whole life. And the people who know and understand grace say, welcome to the club. Come on, somebody. Thank you. See, if grace was withheld because of our sin, then it would cease to be the very definition of grace. Because grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God on your life. That's what grace is. Unmerited, undeserved favor of God on your life. And if sin stops that, then it's no longer unmerited. If sin stopped it, it would cease to be grace. Watch this. This is really good. Pretty sure. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 20, and look what it says. It says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Right? But watch. But as people sinned more and more, look, church, as people sinned more and more, God got so fed up with him that he decided to wipe the entire world of every last human. Isn't that what it says? That's not what it says, is it? It doesn't. It says, it says but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. I'm not, at, and you got, and this is good. You know how you know you're preaching grace, right? When someone looks at you and they go, so wait a minute. If that's right, then you're saying I can just go ahead and do this thing and it's not a big deal. And I'm going to say to you, by all means, don't do that. Because, listen, you're going to be a slave to whoever it is that you submit yourselves to obey. And that could be the grace and the righteousness of God or it can be sin. It's your choice, but you're going to be a slave to one or the, the other you know, that's what Paul got questioned with in the book of Romans. 22 minutes, I got going. The book of Romans. I'm just, that's for me, because I got a lot to talk about. Thank you. Y'all keep on. All right. 
But Paul preaches in Romans. And Paul was preaching such a radical concept in Romans that every time he hit a big one, he asked the question, no, I know what you're thinking. Well, since we were covered by grace, can't we just go and sin even more? That way we get more grace. And if, that's, if grace is that good, I want abundance of grace. So I'm going to sin more so I can have more grace. And Paul said, you're missing the point. You don't have to try to sin more. You do well on that your own, right? Hey, it was up there. Bring that verse back up. Romans 5.20. For God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. It says, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. I love the, the New King James Version of this trans, of the scripture says, where sin abounded. Y'all say abounded. Come on, church, say abounded. We're in a big place. That's right. Where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. It almost looks like it would be the same exact word. But let me just break this down for you. This will make you, this will get you happy, right? Now, so the first abound is, is the word that means to superabound or to increase. Where sin superabounds and increases, grace abounds even more. You say, well, does that mean that, that grace superabounds and increases? It's not an even thing. It's never even thing. It says where sin abounds, watch, where sin abounds, where, where sin abounds, super abounds and increases, grace abounds much more. The word abound there means it abounds beyond measure. It overflows. It abounds beyond measure. Now, now sin will super abound, but it says, but grace abounds beyond measure. Do you know what it means when it says beyond measure? Somebody tell me what beyond measure means. It means beyond the ability to measure it. So when I mess up in this life, God has something built into his love that says, you know what, if you mess up, you'll never be able to exhaust my grace. You'll never be able to sin bigger than my love for you or my grace for you. You cannot top it. You say, but you don't know who I am. I'm a pretty bad sinner. But you cannot top the grace of God. Because when your sin superabounds, and we could be some superabounding sinners, amen. But when sin superabounds, it says grace abounds beyond your ability to measure it. So when I was like 19 years old, I went on this ministry missions trip to Canada. Now, don't you think, when you think ministry mission strip, you think of, like, Honduras. I've been there, too, twice. That's kind of what I think, Honduras or something like that. When you think ministry mission strip for three weeks with 50 teenagers, you don't think Canada. But there we were in Canada. And we, we, we got up to the, the, the border there, and there's this big waterfall. There's this big waterfall there, and it's called what? Anybody? Niagara Falls. Have you ever seen Niagara Falls in person? Massive. The amount of water rushing over that cliff is ridiculous. It just never stops. Canada must have a very high water bill, y'all. It never stops. It just pours and pours. And it is it's crazy. They got this mist that's, that extends you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 feet up and probably higher than that. It's just constant. How many of you think it would have been a bad day to go over Niagara Falls and get stuck in the bottom 
where that water was spinning around. Y'all would think that would be a bad day, amen? That's a short day, amen? It'd be a short day. Hear me when I tell you this. Hear me. Sin and the things that we do stay at the bottom of that waterfall. It has no hope of conquering the water that is hitting it. You see, sin abounds. You might get in your bucket and go over in the falls. But God's grace abounds even more. It never shuts off. You can never stop it. You can put your hands up all you want to, but you cannot stop the grace of God from pounding your life. You are not that powerful. Grace is the violent waterfall of God's love and favor on your life. Romans 8, 38, we read this last week. We might read it next week and the week after that and every other week that we want to read it. But Romans 8, 38, it says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from what? Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from whose love, church? Do you notice that? It says God's love. Have you ever noticed that everything that's attached to God is permanent? Can sin stop you from loving God? It can stop you from loving God. Amen, it can. But can your sin stop God from loving you? No. Some of us just need to embrace this. This is almost like you're sitting there like, ah, I really want to get excited about this. But I'm really reserved right now, right? And maybe breaking your brain too. And that's okay as well. So it says, for I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. It says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, and not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Get the next verse in there, Dad, leave you with that one. There it is. It says, no power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, no thing, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to know God loves me. How do I get to a place where I understand God loves me? How do I know that God's love is as good as you're saying it gets? He said, because the standard is Christ. The proof is Jesus. It's revealed in Christ. We can be enemies with God all we want to. Hear me. We can be enemies with God all we want to, but we can't be enemies of God. Can I tell you why? Because love has no enemies. Because love has no enemies. Hard for someone who is patient to have enemies. Hard for someone who's kind to have enemies. Hard for 
someone who doesn't rejoice in injustice but rejoices when truth wins out. It's hard for them to have enemies. It's hard for someone who uh, doesn't take into, into account or doesn't remember your sins. It's hard for someone like that to have enemies. It's hard for someone who never gives up on you allow you to become their enemies. It's hard for someone who never loses faith in you, who's always hopeful about you, who endures or endures through every circumstance. It's hard for, 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 for someone who will never fail you to be your enemy. Love does not have enemies. The greatest tension about being a follower of Jesus Christ. You ready? I'm going to give it to you. The greatest tension about being a follower of Jesus Christ is living a life that others see that they know you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? Because Jesus said, how you love, what? One another. The world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Let me tell you something. There has been nothing harder in my life than being willing to love someone like God loves me. How many of you know it's a good thing to be loved by God? Amen. We welcome the love. Of, that's why I started this whole thing off with this. We welcome the love of God. We welcome it because it transforms our lives. And, oh, he saved a wretch like me. I used to think it was a wrench, but it wasn't a wrench. It was a wretch. And he saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I what, church? See, we love that. We love when it's applied to us. But the thing about being a Christian is we don't have the option to just receive it. We have the option to be the conduit by which the world experiences it. That is why it's so hard to follow Jesus. It's in being like Jesus. It's in loving your enemies. I don't want to love my enemies, church, and my foot. Can I just be honest? Some of y'all are crazy. I saw a shirt. We were, my wife and I, we were watching this tattoo show, right, on Netflix. We were binge watching this tattoo show, and there was this guy named Dave Navarro who's a real uh, popular musician, and he had this shirt. He had all these Jesus shirts he was always wearing. And I was telling Kim, I was like, look, check it out. He has all these cool Jesus shirts, and then you, like, catch a different angle, and then you see what it really says, right? And so it looks like it's a Jesus shirt, but then it's not. And, and so he had this one really cool one that said, Jesus loves you. I said, there it is, babe. Look at that. They've no a rock and a Jesus loves you shirt on Netflix, right? That's pretty awesome. And then it showed another picture. And at the bottom of it says, um, it said, Jesus loves you. And it says, so I don't have to. And, man, as Christians, isn't that kind of how we feel sometimes? Jesus loves you, so I don't have to. But no, that's not exactly how that works out. It's the exact opposite. Jesus loves you, and because he loves you, you get to love others. You get to love others. I struggle with this. Anybody else struggle with it other than the guy preaching the message? Anybody else? Help me out, y'all. Like, no, we figured it all out, Pastor. And y'all should be teaching. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. Real quick. I still got 10. Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us 
while we were still sinners. We can read a verse like that. If you've been in church any length of time, you can read a verse like that and go, oh, yeah, that's good. But that verse is way bigger than, than a, oh, yeah, that's good. See, I'm going to get out of the camera, my bad. All right, so it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You didn't initiate it. You didn't do anything to earn it. Not a single thing about your life did God look at and go, huh, that's pretty good. I'll, 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 I'll die for him. Like not a single thing you did. He looked into creation throughout all of humanity and said, I want to do this. And why? Because that's what love does. Love is not a response. Love is the initiator. Love is the initiator. Look, while we were still his enemies, another translation says, while we were still his enemies. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, real quick. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. Jesus gives us great sermon on the mountain. He says, you've heard the law says, the law that says what? Love your neighbor and hate what, church? If your Christianity, if my Christianity looks like that, it's not Christianity. If my life looks like that, I'm not following Jesus. I don't have the right to love my neighbor and hate my enemy. And so if words are coming out of our mouths, including the guy preaching it, if words are coming out of our mouths that say, well, let's just bomb them, that is not Christ. That is anti-Christ. I'm not talking about the end times guy that's going to come out and make a market. It's anti-Christ. Come on, church. It's anti-Jesus. To say, well, let's bomb them. Let them go to the death penalty. Let them go to the death, death chair, whatever. The death chair. Let them go. That's not Jesus. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's going to flip the script. Next verse. That was the cue. You flipped the script. You flipped the script. Okay. But I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. You know what that word love is right there? That word love is the, the, the Greek word agapios. And it just, it's not some super spiritual, like, high-end love. It just, here's what it means. Agapios means this. It means to be fond of, to love dearly. To be fond of, to love dearly. One of the greatest lines I've ever heard in any movie I've ever seen in my life came from the movie The Shack. Anybody ever seen the movie The Shack? You read the book The Shack maybe? It came from the movie Shack. And, and, and it said this. It said, it said Abba is, is fond of you. Oh, my God, that's so good that he's fond of you. You see, we, we can almost look at his love for us and go, oh, yeah, he has to love us. But he doesn't have to like us. No, no. God not only loves you, God likes you. He is fond of you. Even on your worst day, he is fond of you. On your worst day. He's fond of you. He says, love. Be 
fond of and to love dearly. And please understand, I'm not saying I got it figured out because I don't. Y'all, I still get mad. Just drive with me for any length of time and you'll see. You will, hey, hey, you will question why I'm standing in this pulpit preaching. He said, I said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. That, that word enemy is the very same word that says that we thought we were of God. Hostile and, and hateful and opposing. Be fond of those who are hostile to you. There is no mixing this up. This is not metaphoric, church. I, I used to teach martial arts. I'm a fourth degree black belt. I used to teach martial arts all the time. And, and, I, and I taught it with this Christian flavor to it. And I used to teach that spot where it says, when someone hits you on, on one cheek, you turn to him the other cheek. And I used to say, well, that wasn't really talking about assault because I'm teaching you how to defend yourself. You know, it's really talking about uh, an insult. If they insult you, just take it, you know, let them insult you the other way. It's not what it's talking about. Oh, this is, yeah, this is good. So, to be fond of, to love dearly those who are hostile to you. And then he says to pray. Pray for those who persecute you. I can't, I got to stay in the camera. Pray for those who persecute you. He says, but I say, love your enemies. And some of us are thinking, how do you do that? And he gives you a how in the next verse. Pray for him. And not pray for him like, don't, don't pray for your enemies like, Lord, I hope their life ends now. You know, don't, don't pray for him like that. I hope they get in a car accident on the way home. Don't pray for him like that. Don't do that. So I'm like, I would never. You did. On the way to church, you did. <laughs> he says, pray for those who persecute you. And what he's saying is he's saying, seek God's heart for those who are hurting yours. See God's heart for those who are hurting yours. I had a, a lady who was in our house a couple years back, and she was going through a very hard time with her husband, going through a divorce with her husband. And I said to her, I said, hey, are you praying for him? And she said, I don't want to talk to him, much less pray for him. And I said, I know that's the point. It's hard to hate someone that you're praying for. It's hard to hate someone you're praying for. Be fond of those who are hostile to you because don't ever forget that the, that the God, the creator of this universe, has been fond of you when you have been incredibly hostile towards him. Love your enemies and pray for them. Last verse. Luke 23, 33-35. Listen. The hard stuff about following Jesus, it's not this, it's not ministry, it's not, it's not giving, it's not serving, it's not, it's lit. the hardest thing about following Jesus is being like Jesus. Loving radically like Christ. Luke 22, verses 33 through 35, it says, and when they came to a place called the what church? The skull. It says they nailed him to the cross. How many of you guys would think that those who nailed him to the cross, they were hostile towards him, don't you think? They were opposing him, don't you think? 
It says, and the criminals who were also crucified, one on, and the criminals also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Go to the next verse. It says, and Jesus said what? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Or, Father, they're forgiven. For they don't know what they're doing. And now watch. Sandwiched right between that. So the verse previous says they nailed him to the cross. And the verse after this, go. Next verse. And the crowd watched. That means they stood there and they stared. They watched. And the leaders scoffed. They said, he saved others. They said, let him save himself. If he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. I want you to see that. They nailed him to the cross. While nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And after he says that, they scoff at him. They make fun of him. They call him names. They stare at him. That's the hard part about being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's loving our enemies. And that's the part that will change the world is love. Love changes the world. We are still talking about this man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. And we're not talking about how strong he was, how mighty of an army he had. We're not talking about the empires he built. We're talking about self-sacrificial enemy love. That is why we're talking about him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's why we're singing this. That's why we're preaching it. That's why we're living it for us. And that's why we keep reproducing it. And we keep it going. This is what changes the world. We don't have enemies, church. We don't have enemies. Amen. (laughs) Love doesn't have enemies. This is stretching me. Y'all, it's stretching me. I just, I put the message together. I read it. I studied it. I know it. I teach it. And I struggle with it. Take too long in the drive through at Chick-fil-A. Y'all are better than this. I struggle with it. McDonald's, I get it, but Chick-fil-A? You're better than this. Yeah. Love does not look like the world. It doesn't. To be anti-love is to be anti-Christ. Yes. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? (laughs) What do you mean I got to love people when I leave here? Yes, that's the whole point. But if you're struggling with that, can I tell you this? Can I tell you if you're struggling with it? If you're struggling with loving other people, go back to when you recognize, you realize how much you were loved. Go back and camp on the fact 
that that thing you did that you're trying to hide in your closet after the 15,000th time you said you were never going to do it, you did it again. That thing that you're trying to hide, let me, when you recognize, you realize that you are still fond, that God's still fond of you, that he still adores you, that he still loves you, and that if you were the only person on earth screwing it up over and over again, he still would have laid down his life for you. That is what he did. He loved the world to his death. Camp there. Camp there. I'm having a hard time loving the Chick-fil-A people. I need to go back and camp there. Amen. My wife said amen because she was with me today in the car, y'all. It won't good. That won't Jesus. It was anti-Jesus. At least I admit it. Do me a favor. You bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. We're going to wrap up with just a, a few moments of worship. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your goodness. And, Lord, we just pray, Father, I pray right now, Lord, as we go back into a short time of worship, God, that these words would be sealed into our hearts, that they'll be sealed into our hearts, Lord, that they take on new weight and new meaning for us today. Thanks, Dad.